Good morning, listeners, and I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and I want to say a big thank you for listening in on this weekly radio broadcast. This broadcast is one of several options that our church is currently offering as we navigate this season of life, and I would highly encourage you to go to collegehills.org to find out more about those different offerings and options. We have an online service that happens every Sunday, as well as an on-campus gathering that happens each week as well, and you can find out more about those at collegehills.org. If you ever happen to miss this weekly radio broadcast, also know that it comes out at the beginning of every week in the form of a podcast. And so if you will go to your local iTunes account or Spotify account and simply search College Hills Church, you can subscribe to that podcast and it will show up in your inbox each week. We release both our radio broadcast as well as our pulpit sermon each week. And so you can find those as well at College Hills Church Podcast. We're currently moving through a series that we started at the beginning of the summer, and we're calling it Break Through the Fog, Finding Wisdom to Navigate Life. What we're doing in this series is we're looking at different passages of Scripture that I think offer us wisdom for living. In other words, how to live faithfully and well in this season in which we find ourselves For a lot of us, we feel like we're coming out of the fog of the last year or year and a half, and I can think of no better time to rethink how we are living than to look at some passages from Scripture that I think offer us wisdom in what matters most, how to live well, how to live faithfully, so that we can use this opportunity kind of like a restart or reset and listening to wisdom voices of Scripture to guide us as we try to reset and re-navigate the waters of life. And so for the last few weeks, we've looked at different wisdom passages. And this morning, I want to look at a passage that's really two passages. I want to read a passage from the Old Testament, which is going to be our primary text for today. But also, I want to read a second text as well from the New Testament to also have it as kind of a conversation partner with this Old Testament text. So the first text I want to read is Proverbs 16, 16 through 19, and then Philippians 2, 1 through 11. These are the words from Proverbs 16, 16 through 19. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver. The highway of the upright avoids evil. Those who guard their ways preserve their lives. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. And these words from Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, 
have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Dear God, thank you so much for today. I pray today that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts that we would hear your voice and we would be transformed by it more into the image of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. In April of 2015, David Brooks released a book called The Road to Character. In the book, he challenges the reader to consider the kind of life they are living and what kinds of things they're pursuing with their life. Because we're all pursuing something with our lives. One of the ways that he talks about what we pursue in life is through a challenging contrast between what he calls resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Resume virtues are all of those things that are most important to us in the workplace. Things like wealth, status, fame, and influence. These are virtues that would go on a resume. These are the kinds of things we pursue that are very externally focused. And our world is constantly calling us to develop and show off these virtues. Eulogy virtues, in contrast, are all of those things that are said about us at our funeral. Things like our kindness, honesty, courage, and faithfulness. These are the kinds of things that we pursue that are more internally focused. These are the things that are at the core of who we are. They're about our inner essence, our internal maturity. And while these things are more important to us, we don't really live in a world that keeps these inner virtues front and center We know this to be true, right? Because things like delayed gratification are never trending or very popular phrases in our world. Brooks goes on in the rest of the book to talk more about the path of those inner virtues, those eulogy kinds of virtues, and how we might grow in those ways in our life. He writes the book in order to help us become people of character, depth, substance. His words force us to consider the inner kinds of virtues that we are or are not pursuing with our lives. His words call us to be people of character, of maturity, of inner formation so that we will live differently. And while some may read this book and think what Brooks is doing is innovative and new, The purpose of his work is actually a very old and ancient thing because what he's trying to do with his book is very similar to what the book of Proverbs is doing. The book of Proverbs is trying to help us live differently by calling us to look internally. In order to live differently on the outside, we have to do some work on the inside. 
the book is trying to force us to wrestle with our inner lives so that our outer lives will look different. That's why this book is called a book of wisdom, because, to quote Eugene Peterson, wisdom is the skilled living of truth in everyday reality. Wisdom is the skilled living of truth in everyday reality. The hope and goal of Proverbs is that we would live differently in the everyday reality of our lives, how we do our jobs, how we treat our kids, how we interact with our spouses, how we treat the worker at the grocery store, or how we speak to our coworkers. Wisdom is the skilled living of truth in everyday reality. But the way you develop a skill in truth is not just an external exercise, but also an internal one. That's why this book is pushing us towards to do all these things and to live in all of these ways from a deeper place, a deeper reality, a deeper faith and wonder before God. And that depth is ultimately about an internal reality. Wisdom is about an internal way of life that expresses itself in our external life. Proverbs wants us to cultivate something deeper and more meaningful at the core of who we are. And as we read through this book, we're challenged to consider just what kind of person we're going to be in this world. What kind of person am I becoming? How am I living? Or to use an image from our passage this morning, how are we going to journey through this pathway of life? How are we going to walk this pathway of life? Let's hear our passage one more time this morning to hear and see this powerful image given to us. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The highway of the upright avoids evil. Those who guard their way preserve their lives. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit among the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. A key image holds our passage together today, that of a path or a road, a highway. And this image is common in Scripture for describing our lives, life as a path, life as a journey. We're all travelers on this journey of life. Life is a road that goes before us that we travel. But these Proverbs push us to consider how we're going to live our lives. In other words, how are we going to walk this path of life? What is going to be the manner of our walk in the world? And within this key image today, there's an invitation to do two different ways of walking, two different ways of navigating this world. On the one hand, with a haughty spirit, or on the other hand, with a humble lowly spirit. One choice set before us this morning, on the one hand, is that of a haughty spirit. Now, this first word, haughty, is not one we probably hear a lot or use a lot, but it comes from an old word that means high. So, the image here is of a person who walks through life with their head held high above others and even of God. They are, to use a modern phrase, on their high horse, 
or to use another modern phrase, they walk around with their nose in the air. This is a path of arrogance, of being puffed up, of thinking of yourself better than others. This is the path of pride. And what's brilliant about this passage, and really the whole book of Proverbs, is that this way of journeying through life is ultimately about an internal reality. That's why the phrase haughty spirit is used. Because the spirit of a person is about the core of a person. The spirit of a person is about their inner essence. You see, you can put on a good, humble show all day long, and still at the end of the day, at your inner core, think that you're better than other people. You can be easily tempted to become like the Pharisee that Jesus tells us about in Luke 18, who went up to the temple to pray. And from the outside, the Pharisee looked holy, righteous, religious. I mean, he was praying in the temple. But on the inside, at the core of his prayer life was gratitude that he was not like those people. He put on a good show, but at his core was a haughty, prideful spirit. And if right now you're thinking of that person who perfectly embodies this haughty, arrogant, prideful spirit towards other people, and if you're thinking of someone else and not yourself, then you now know what it's like to have a haughty, arrogant, prideful spirit. This is, to quote one of my favorite set of theologians, the Avent Brothers, the kind of pride that turns you bad. And the promise of this passage, the wisdom of the proverb, is that if we choose to live our lives with this spirit of thinking of ourselves better than others, then we will eventually fall. This way of living will catch up with us. Pride will lead you to fall on the journey of life. But there is another way. There is another way for us to walk through this journey of life. We can choose to walk through this world with a humble spirit, walking the way of humility. Now, for many of us, we likely think of humility along the lines of that famous Ted Turner quote, if I only had humility, then I'd be perfect. There is a way of thinking about humility as if it's just another item on our grocery list, so to speak, where we go to the store of virtues and we find the humility section We throw a few cans of humility in our bag and off we go. We have it with us just in case we need it from time to time. It's this kind of item that we possess and purchase, or so we think. But if we take seriously that image of a pathway that holds this passage together, then humility should less be thought of an item we grab and more as something that we grow Humility should be less thought of something we consume and more as something we cultivate. And the reason why I'm pushing us towards a more organic and earthy understanding when thinking about humility is because of the very word itself. Because if you trace back the word humble far enough, then you're going to find it's connected to an old Latin word, humus not to be confused with the more tasty word hummus. Humus is an old Latin word that means earth or ground or soil. So even for those translations that have the word lowly, 
we shouldn't hear that in some way that people can often translate it, where we try to make it about a low view of ourselves or you being unnecessarily mean or critical of yourself. That's not humility. That's just being mean to yourself. Lowly should be heard more as in close to the ground or connected to the ground. To be a humble person is to be a humus person. To be a humble person is to be a grounded person. To be a humble person is to be aware of your connection with earth, soil, and ground. A few years ago, I participated in a ritual that still grounds me when I think of the memory of it. And what I tried a few years ago was I planted a garden. It was a small, modest effort, but it was a ritual and a routine that I greatly enjoyed, and I actually had a garden for a few years in a row. So every spring, I would head to the local co-op. I'd get some soil, some plants of tomatoes and onions and other things, and then I would head out into my backyard and start playing in the dirt. I would get on my hands and knees and would begin digging and throwing dirt, pulling out plants and setting them into the ground. I would scoop up soil and begin to pack it around the plant. And every year that I carried out this practice, there was a moment that I always would look forward to. While I was busy sweating and kneeling by my garden in the sun, I would look down at my hands And without even realizing it, they would have become covered in dirt up to my elbows. I would look down and I could see my hands there buried in the ground. But looking down, I would see these dark, dirt-covered arms. And there was this strange continuation between me and the earth that I couldn't quite tell where the earth ended and where I began. That moment is always a humbling moment, not only because I realize how much I still would have to learn about gardening, but it was always humbling because it was one of those humus moments. It was always a moment where I was reminded that from the humus, God created humans. It's a moment where I would always be reconnected to that truth about all of us, that from the dust and dirt of the ground, we were all formed and shaped, and we were breathed in life by God. It was a moment every spring in that garden when I would remember from that ground that we're all on common ground because we all come from common ground. And it was a reconnection moment that I needed regularly and still do because it's so easy to forget that truth about all of us. The humble person is the person who, at the core of who they are, recognizes that truth, that you and me And all of humanity are created and sustained by God. That the humble person 
is the person who at the core of who they are, at the core of their spirit, is grounded in God. And the more we sink into this truth about ourselves, then it shapes how we live in the world. We will walk this path of life, this journey of life in a certain more humble kind of way. I was recently sitting with a friend of mine from church, and I've had several conversations with them before, but this conversation went in a new direction because they opened up to me about some challenges from their life that I did not know about. They began to share with me some of the valleys that they had been through and some of the low moments that had shaped their life. And the way they talked about those experiences clearly indicated to me that that they were no longer in that valley of life. And so I was curious and asked, how did you turn things around? What did you do to get out of the valley? And without skipping a beat, they immediately responded, God. God turned things around. God moved in my life. I'm here today because of God. There was a piece of me that wanted to follow up with, well, yeah, but but you had to do something. You did something. But instead, I just sat there in the quiet. I absorbed the answer because it was one of those moments where you realize that a person says something that has so much depth and meaning and truth that you need to respect the sacred territory that you're in. It was a moment that was a moment where I realized I was talking to a very grounded person. I was talking to a person planted in the reality of God, a person who knew at their very core that they are upheld and sustained by God. They weren't putting on a show. They were showing their truest self to me instead. That was a moment for me where I caught a glimpse of humility right in front of me because I was encountering someone who, when they traced the roots of their life to their core, they believed they were only here because of God. They knew at their core of core, God upheld, sustained, and guided them. They were a person who realized that they were walking through life not as some self-reliant, independent person, but as a God-reliant, God-dependent person. They were revealing to me this truth that I think every Christian should realize. There's no such thing as a self-made person, but only God-made people. We do not create ourselves. God creates us. God breathes life into us, and God sustains us. This person was showing me that there is another way to journey through this life. One of the things that the person said to me in our conversation was that every morning, to start their day, they spend time in prayer because it reminds them that they cannot do anything without God. And what an important reminder of what prayer 
does. Prayer grounds us in the reality of God. And so in that spirit of prayerful practice, I want to close our lesson this morning with a prayer. It's a prayer written by another author that I greatly appreciate because it's entirely Jesus-focused. And this prayer draws us into the prayer that we hear in Philippians 2 that we heard earlier. These words of Paul who remind us about the humility of Jesus. That Jesus, he is the ultimate humility that we should strive to be like. That he demonstrates for us in his life and death and burial and resurrection that the path of humility is this path that leads us to a place where God can raise us and glorify us in ways that we cannot do on our own. So I want to close with this prayer, with this passage of Paul in mind this morning. Lord Jesus, you humbled yourself more fully than any human being, giving up your divine privileges by becoming human, and then giving up your very life by dying on a cross. The most humiliating of deaths you died so that God might raise you to life. Because you humbled yourself, God highly exalted you, giving you the very name of Lord and calling every knee to bow before you. Humility was your way to glory. You know, dear Lord, how I struggle to be humble. Sometimes I can think way too much of myself. I can claim my accomplishments as my own rather than as gifts from your hand. Forgive me, Lord, for my lack of humility. Help me to focus so consistently on your greatness that I can't help but be humble. Remind me of the example of Christ. May humility be not merely a mask I wear, but a genuine aspect of my character. All praise be to you, Lord Jesus, because you humbled yourself for our sake. All praise be to you, Lord Jesus, for teaching me to be humble. Amen. I want to close by reading that prayer one more time, this prayer by an author named Mark Roberts, and allow it to be our closing and sending prayer for this week. Lord Jesus, you humbled yourself more fully than any human being, giving up your divine privileges by becoming human, and then giving up your very life by dying on a cross the most humiliating of deaths. Yet because you humbled yourself, God highly exalted you, giving you the very name of Lord and calling every knee to bow before you. Humility was your way to glory. You know, dear Lord, how I struggle to be humble. Sometimes I can think way too much of myself. I can claim my accomplishments as my own rather than as gifts from your hand. Forgive me, Lord, for my lack of humility. 
Help me to focus so consistently on your greatness that I can't help but be humble. Remind me of the example of Christ. May humility not be merely a mask I wear, but a genuine aspect of my character. All praise be to you, Lord Jesus, because you humbled yourself for our sake. All praise be to you, Lord Jesus, for teaching me to be humble. Amen.